This podcast is brought to you by absolutely no one. The Bald and the Beautiful podcast with Dave Vella. Who the hell is Dave Vella? Hello beautiful people, thanks for joining me. I hope you got to listen to the last episode about Yoni mapping. If you don't know what that's all about, you should really have a listen. It was all about sex, relationships, intimacy. I said sex, that's it. If you haven't had a listen, go back and have a little uh, listen to the chat I had with Mariam Noor. It was great, I absolutely loved it. But for this one, we're going on a totally different tact. This one is all about mindset, stress, PTSD, resilience, and emotional intelligence. My guest today is a former Australian Special Forces Commando, an elite soldier who joined the army straight out of school. He's done tours of Iraq, Afghanistan. He's worked in private security for the likes of the late, great Steve Irwin, and also private security over in the Middle East. He's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and the last time I got to wrestle him, he was about 98 kilos of solid toughness. Not fun with him knee riding you while trying to choke you in a submission. But since then, he's been running marathons. Now, this is from a guy that went through the army hating running. Now you can imagine, you've seen it on the movies. They all do that running in the armies, in the, in the Navy, any special forces where they're wearing the big backpacks, running through the rain, you name it. He hated it. He said he was always coming in last, but his goal was just to get through it. Well, since then, he's embraced the art of running. He's leaned down to a nice 83 kilos and he's ready to tackle his first ultra marathon. Crazy, or is it? He says it's all about mindset, mental toughness, being prepared. Now he's married, he's a dad to two kids, and he's taking what he's learned and he's now teaching it to others. So if you want to improve your physical, your mental, your emotional toughness, you can get in contact with him via his Operator Edge website, and I'll have all those details in the episode notes. Well, let's get into the conversation, shall we? Please welcome my beautiful guest, Reese Dowden. Join the army at 18. Yeah. What um what made you think about the army? Always like, going to join the army. Really? Yeah, I did army cadets when I was a kid. So okay. I joined the army cadets when I was 12. Yeah. And it was just never I've, an option. Never an option to do anything else. No, wow. no, not really. Um, and, and I I think for a lot of I mean I think a lot of young boys in particular think about you know that kind of role. Like, Mm. military or police yeah, or yeah. something like that. Even if it's a fleeting moment, I think a lot of kids, you know, when you play those certain games of you play, you know, um, you play with guns and you someone's <laughs> a bad guy, someone's a good <laughs> yeah, guy. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of lot of kids um, envisage or have thoughts about joining, joining the army or like I said, joining the police or some kind of role like um, emergency services, mm. something like that. And uh, so my dad was a police officer as well. He was oh, a cop for yeah. okay. 40 years in yeah. in Queensland. So You grew up in Queensland? Yeah. Whereabouts? So uh, a Sunshine Coast mainly, from the end of primary school and then high school. Um, but before that up, I was born in Gladstone uh, and then up near Mossman we spent four years, oh, which yeah. is near Cairns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So up there um, and then finish on the Sunshine Coast. But So, so I was always... I knew enough about police to know that I didn't want to do that because <laughs> um, dad, dad was sort of, uh, I guess, talked me out of it. Not so much talked me out of it, but, but 
you know, you, you certainly got the inside goss of the police officers. But um, with what I do now, talking to the coppers who are in the, the police tactical groups, like the special operations for yep. police, that's something I definitely would have, would have oh, really? I think yeah. I would have enjoyed and I would have gone mm. down that path. But yeah, for me, it was I was always going to go that way. And um, I remember Tony, uh, it was interesting talking about, I was just, just saying that a lot of kids probably had that thought of doing that sort of similar role when they were mm. a kid. I remember talking with Tony Abbott. Um, he gave a speech. The Tony we, Abbott. The Tony Abbott when we were in Afghan. The bike riding Tony Abbott. Yep, the, yeah. the Iron Man yeah. um, finisher. Yeah. He he came over when we were in Afghan. He, he talked to us. Uh, and I remember it was, it was really interesting because he'd been up for days. He was he was he was wrecked. He was in massive sleep deprivation. I remember he was drinking coffee and his all his lips were stained with um, because he was had dry mouth. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he he was in this new environment and he hadn't slept and he was probably a little bit stressed and yeah, it was really interesting. But he was talking about he he always thought about that as well and he he read a quote somewhere where um, I think it was it was a pretty. Um, pretty old old quote by someone a long time ago that was basically saying that um you know when often particularly men will get to a certain age where they where they if they haven't ever done something like that either being in police or the military or emergency services they regret it somewhat mm. and i mean i'm not how sure how true that is but i talk to a lot of people that you know seem to have these these moments in their life or um these thoughts of going down that pathway and, and i think if you if you if you have other people around you, you know, you know, hanging yeah. around like-minded people type yeah. thing. And I was around doing army cadets and yeah, yeah, those people, yeah. and that was always going to be the way. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a very much a boy thing, isn't it? A man thing. It's a, it's a testosterone thing to yeah. sort of. You're either doing that, or maybe if you don't do that, you've headed into say football yeah. or some sort of contact sport, yeah. martial arts. I went into the martial arts. You went into the martial arts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe it's just a boy thing that we do. Yeah, it's a, it's a boy thing and it's a it's a bonding thing. Yeah. Like any one of those things. Like my brother played for played football, professional league. Yep. He played in um, in England for the Super League, played for, for Wales because he's my um, half-brother, so his dad was Welsh, so he got to play for Wales in the World Cup. Oh, wow. Played um, um, in Newcastle for 97-98 when they won the title. He was mainly reserve, wow. reserve grade player, but he played his fair share of first yep. grade. And... Uh, you know the stories that he tells me, and, and you know the I guess the love for the game, but more more really the the bond and the love of mm. being around the the boys and the being boys, in that environment. Yeah. It's the same as with the army. Yeah. It's the same as with the police. It's the same as with these, um, you know, all these other or potential organisations that you could be in when you're around the guys all the time. It, en- it encourages though that real boy behaviour, though, doesn't it? And um, sometimes, and I was I was reading something when I was um, on your website about. I think a blog that you did about um, eight things you learnt in the special forces, and yeah. one of them was about humour. How you got to have humour, yeah. And it was the article was talking about how sometimes you guys would use humour just to either pass the time, but sometimes just to really take your mind off the stuff that you're going into. Yeah. And um, can you tell us a little bit about that because that's really quite interesting. How boys use humour to divert their attention away from shit that's really happening yeah yeah it's almost it's almost a way to get through it yeah and then when after the fact when you've gone through a shitty moment i guess your your brain is is quite good at forgetting the really shit times mm. and you 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 cherry pick those really funny yeah, times those yeah. really good times otherwise you'd never go back yeah true and, and it's almost my my wife's a lactation consultant and uh, a midwife and um 
sexual health. She got a master's in sexual health. Yeah. And we had our um, second child at home and everything. And and she talks about it, and, and and I can see from that perspective of having a baby, right, that if you only thought, or you only remembered the horrible shit time, <laughs> the painful time that that is going through, but you wouldn't have another wouldn't, one. Nah. And she says it, you wouldn't have another one. She, and she, after the first one, it's, and I remember distinctly being in there when the, when the, when our second one, one came out and, and I mean, I was delivering it because our, our, uh, our, our midwife was in Liz, uh, Lisbon. Wow. So, you so did you deliver the whole baby? Head, no, well, the head was coming out and, yep. and, and the, the, the chick walked in and I'm, I'm high five yeah. swapping out. <laughs> uh, so I'm glad she came here because I was, I was sweating bullets. No and, way. And then I ended up catching the baby, but you know, you, you see how they're going through that, um, you know, that, it's not so much trauma, but it's 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 a really well, hard it is. thing. It's a tra- it is a trauma. Yeah, it's a it's, it's a physical trauma. It's, it's a really um, painful event that they're going through. And five minutes later, she's like, "Oh, I could do that again." And I'm oh. thinking, "I oh, remember, I just saw you ten minutes ago." Yeah. But if your if your brain only focused on that, yeah. you would never do that again. So I think with with guys and being in the um, or being in, not so much with guys, but being in the shitty situations overseas. I mean, I rem- I remember sitting there and when it's you know it was a, it was. I think the hottest day we got that I measured on my Kestrel, which is a little measuring de- device you use when you're in snipers to mm. measure the wind, to measure the barometric pl- pressure, to measure the temperature, that kind of thing. And you use it towards your calculations for firing your weapon. And it was 56 degrees one day. Wow. And you're sitting there in the heat and the sun's on you. That's not enjoyable, mate. I don't, I don't give a fuck who you are. Yeah. That's not enjoyable. No, that's right? not fun. But just so, and then somebody will... will and you're all having a shit time. You're all miserable, and you still got to do, you know, obviously do your job. And then somebody will will come out with some stupid comment that's that it's just ridiculous in that moment. Just the, and that just sort of breaks the monotony and breaks the pain yeah, of what yeah. you're going through. And it's really funny, and, and it, that's what gets you through. Mm. And when you have, I always think that in, in a team, um, it doesn't matter what team I'm talking about, but I'll, I'll I'll relate it back to being in a special operations environment and a really sh- shit environment overseas, not all the time, but sometimes, especially when you talk about elements like weather and dealing with the enemy and things like that and sleep deprivation. And you're eating shitty food out of the ration backs. It's, it's <laughs> not, it's, uh, I mean, it's a great time, but it's not a great time. Um, you need to have that one, one, or, one or two guys that are funny. And, but what was good with our team, and, and particularly in that special operations environment, a lot of guys are like that. A yeah. lot of guys are funny. And then they're funny at different, obviously they have different, I guess, personality traits um, and the way they bring out that humour. Some guys are just overtly funny all the time, which yeah. is good. And some guys just bring it out every so often, like black humour. Yeah, yeah. And it's just... Deadpan face. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and uh, the medical, medical people, emergency services, doctors, nurses, ER, people working in ER, they talk about having the black, that black mm. humour as well, like mm. being around that death and destruction all the time that... It's it's an outlet and a way to cope. Like mm. if you if you always took it so seriously, you'd never go back for another shift. Yeah, and you went back for a few shifts too, didn't you? You did how, how many times did you go back to Afghanistan and Iraq? Oh, I just went to I went to Af- Afghanistan twice, but I went to Iraq three times. I did yep. private security yep. in Iraq, which was a whole different sort of environment. What, really. what what did you enjoy more, the private security or the actual being in the army? As, as for doing the job, um, 
being in the army, but doing it with the army, doing it with two commando was was definitely better. Yep. Much harder to do it because in two commando we were. I mean, you're you're like the like the tip of the spear, as they call it, or, or you're the one doing the tough jobs because you're trained for it. So when you say tough jobs, what sort of what what are the tough jobs? So you're going and enga- engaging with the enemy all the okay. time. Yep. Like pretty much every mission you go on, yep. you'll ninety. 95% of the time we've got in contact with the enemy. So because there's, there's fire? Yeah, there's yep. fire, yeah. Yep. yeah you, what they call, um, you know, tick, which stands for troops in contact. Yep. So we would get in tick, you know, most of the time, the majority of the time we went out. Whereas in Af- Af- uh, Iraq, it, I was doing the private security, so it wasn't, you weren't, um, you know, it wasn't, I guess, relatively, it wasn't as dangerous. Yeah. Um, is that private was, security for, for companies, for individuals? How well, you, you were working for the... Basically, for the American government or the okay. Department of Defense, so they had Department of Defense car, uh, you know, ID yeah, tags wow. and all that kind of stuff, um, which I, which I don't think they do now. But you, you're basically working for the government, like mm. for the Australian government or for the for the U.S. government. Yeah. So you're protecting either con- protecting equipment or protecting people or protecting bases. Mm. Like we were protecting American troop bases. Yeah, like wow. where American troops were they. They would contract. That seems that seems that seems weird. I know it does. It it seems very weird, especially (laughs) if you haven't sort of been in there. And I guess it was weird for me the first time. But with the private security, and a lot of people don't realise there was just as many private security. Well, probably not just as many, but almost as many private security that were killed in Iraq or have been killed in Iraq than the military. You don't hear about. But you don't hear about that because you don't need to hear about it Mm. because people, when you go under the military banner. It's a huge deal, right? Mm. Uh, if a soldier gets killed, but if you go under a private security banner, that's not really reported. I mean, you, you will get you, you heard about Australians get killed, and it will be in the paper and everything. But it's not; they're not going under the government banner. They're going for the, under their own free will. So yeah, yeah. it's just not as big as a yeah. um, talking point or as big as a tragedy. It would be yeah. as a soldier who signed up to serve the country and, and then yeah. uh, are at the beck and call of the government. Did you experience much? Um much death over there as far as people that you knew in your command or in your... With the army? Yeah. Yeah, we had, a, yeah, we had, I mean, um, two commandos got the highest, the highest death rate uh, and the highest injury rate yeah, wow. um, in, the, in the entire Australian Defence Force. So there was Just a so lot people understand, two commando is the name of your... The regiment. Your regiment, yep. yeah. So that's the unit that I was a part of. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we had the, the highest, um, I guess, guys that were killed in action mm. and wounded over there. Uh, I think we have more um, citations and more medals and bravery awards than, than the rest of any, anyone else as well. Yeah, wow. Um, so it was, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, I mean, I guess that's your job. You, you, you're put in, you, you're trained up, you're professional soldiers, you're at the elite level, so you can therefore do those jobs that nobody else can do. So mm. you're put in those situations where you, you're trying to execute the, the will of the government and whatever missions you have laid out, depending on what your command tell you. And so for SF, that's really going out and finding the enemy and engaging the enemy. And so you, you put in those dangerous situations and, and as a result of that, people get killed and, and people get injured and, and two commando bore the brunt of that. Yeah, well. Because we're a bigger SF unit. Like if you talk about... Uh, SF, by the way, is Special Forces. Special Forces, yep. yeah. If you talk the two Special Forces units in Australia are really... Two Commando and the Special SS Regiment in Perth, and we're just a little bit bigger unit. So I guess we would put we would I guess put in those areas, have a larger force put in put in mm. the bad areas. Um, so 
just by doing it by default we're in arms way a little bit more whereas um, I guess uh, the SAS would do a little bit more targeted um, targeted yeah. operations uh, and a small force uh, so a little bit different roles okay so yeah that that's why I think um, two commander bore the brunt of, of the killed in action overseas yeah well wow. um, so how does that make you feel when you, you see or you experience or you know that someone in your group in your in your in your you know, in your bunch of guys, has just lost their lives. What does it do to you? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it's interesting because I think you're, you're definitely more, much, much more affected by guys that that you know, that guys in your platoon, in your team that have been killed. Um, with me personally, guy, uh, when I was on the trips, I had we didn't have anyone in my team that, that was killed. We had guys uh, that were were blown up and injured. Damien Tomlinson, um, who's, who's written a book. Another commander's written a book called "Without Warning." He lost, he got blown up and lost his legs. Like we were, that was in the sister platoon, and we were there. Uh, like our platoon was right there, where the, there, right there when that happened. And then Brett Till was a, as an engineer that got blown up a couple of days before he, he was killed. Um, but for me personally, I didn't. When I was on the ground, I did. We didn't have, or I didn't have anyone in my team or in my platoon that were killed. But back in Australia, other guys I knew really well that went through that I went through selection with for mm. commandos and, and the reinforcement cycle, which is the training cycle to become a commander. You learn all your skills. I had a couple of good mates that were, were killed who ended up going to other companies. So they did rotations over to yep. Afghan um, at different times. And I had a couple of really good mates, uh, Tim Applin and Merv McDonald that were killed. And, and that, that, hit, that hit much harder than, I guess, um, people outside of my yeah, for sure. direct team. Yeah. Um, and and, and, that, and that, when that happens, do you guys undergo some sort of um, you know therapy afterwards? Do you? No, well, it, that's a that's a really interesting point, and, and I've been listening to um, you know th there's a there's a a very intelligent uh, colonel. His name is Colonel Dave Grossman. He's a psychologist, and he's written a number of books. Um, one's called On Killing, and one's called On Combat. And Where's he based? He's based in the States. Yep. But his, um, his website is called Killology. Yeah. He basically <laughs> talks about everything about the physiological and psychological effects of killing and being in combat and how, to, how we can um, prime guys to be okay during it and afterwards. He mm. says forearmed is forewarned. So is that right. part of your training? Do, like when you go through training to be the commando and learning yep. all this sort of stuff, is there training on... The reality of what's going to happen and how you're going to deal with it and what you need. There's to more do. now. Yeah, There's okay. more now. There wasn't in our in our training. It was really. It is the the realistic type training scenario training is there. Mm. All right. You you, you use a lot of live mainly live rounds. You do a pose training with simunition rounds. Um, you have setups that look exactly like you're going to operate overseas, and you train, 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 train. And, and so when it comes to the time when you do it, like pulling the trigger, for example, is a no-brainer. You don't even think about that. Mm. It's like, and this is what this Colonel Grossman talks about. In earlier wars, people would not fire. Yeah. People would get into, well, you know, the, the classic examples back in the American Civil War where people having the muskets would not, they would fight, they wouldn't even fire. They would just keep reloading and pretend to fire because they didn't want to kill the enemy. Yeah, wow. And it was only like 10% that maybe wanted to kill the enemy. And each war it would increase. Up mm. to Vietnam, it was 
uh, his stats, not my stats, his stats were saying it was sort of 65% that wanted to actually kill the enemy, would fire their weapon to try and kill the enemy. Wow. Now it's a hundred, now it's almost 100%. Yeah, if you're going 95, 100%. Do you think that's because, is that because when those wars were going around, a lot of people got conscripted and, and taken into the war, you had to go into the war, you were, you were sort of either made, felt like you had to be in part of the war or you were told you had to be part of the war and therefore if you weren't really into it, you're probably not going to commit to firing, eh? Oh, I think that's 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 definitely a valid point. Mm. Uh, but also the training. Yeah. The, the the training that we have now compared to back mm. then is 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 chalk and cheese, really. Mm. I mean, you try and send someone from that's worked a farm their whole life in in, in central Queensland in World War One and go throw them on the banks of Gallipoli and go, yeah, mm. go for it. We'll talk about sensory overload. Yeah. If and this is why the realistic training is so. It's so important now because of that almost desensitization to that, to what you're going to go through. So mm. it's being able to handle that stress. It's understanding what you're going to go through um, and then being prepared for that. And that, and, and then you couple that with your actual training, your actual skill sets mm. and trusting the guys in your team and then all the, the technology that you use as well. It all combines to make the, especially like just any soldier, but in particular the elite soldier who, who's, who is in that special operations outfit, um, much more able to prosecute their mission and do it really well and then be okay after the fact. Mm. Um, there's a lot of, like if you talk, and I have people ask, say to me, I'll talk to somebody and they, if they know my background or they, they work it out through friends of friends or whatever, they might say to me, oh, you seem okay. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, I am okay. Yeah, yeah. And the, in fact, the majority of people and, and people will probably try and cut me down for this, but the facts are the facts. The majority of people that go to war are okay. Okay. They are, and, and great, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman talks about this, that um, the people that try and, the people that, they sometimes perpetuate statistics for their own gain, and that's yeah. not just in war, that's... That's, that's it, yes. Yeah. Stati- yeah. yeah. And so it depends on how you read them, but really, in all the studies that they've done, it's it's about five, to, maybe five to 10% of people mm. that... Are severe, have severe case of post-traumatic stress. And that's probably similar if you took the, the wider community anyway. Yeah. Anyone that goes through trauma. Anyone that goes yeah, through trauma, yeah. Exactly right. Mm. And, um, and in, in fact, you know, people that go, go, you know, they have a traumatic experience in their normal life who haven't been trained mm. to deal with that and aren't expecting that, mm. that's when you're probably more likely going to have an effect. Whereas yeah. soldiers are, are trained for that. And, and what I'm saying, particularly the special operations environment, the training in that environment is much, much higher than the regular army. So what sort of, like, yeah, so just on that, because obviously you started off in the army, you did a few years in the army, you left the army, you went into the private sector, and you came back into the army with a particular aim to go into into special forces and commando. Mm. So how how does that training differ? Like, we all hear about it, but what... What does a normal soldier go through and what does a special forces soldier go to? Go yeah, through? so, oh, for example, I mean, I've got, and I've gone back with, um, and over the last few years, trained uh, the guys up, guys mean guys and girls, um, trained up to at certain units before they've been deployed to Afghan. And that's with a company called Kinetic Fighting, another commando mate of mine. Yeah, Paul Carr. Paul Carr, yeah, yeah, you know Paul. I know Paul, He's yeah. a black, black belt as well. Well, Paul, I do, I've been doing... Oh, uh, but, yeah, you've been doing the... The fight shows up yeah. in, in Brisbane for yeah. the army. Yeah. I'm seeing that and Paul's been running all that. Yeah, so he's, he's I mean, he's got, got a wealth of experience, Paul. Mm. And um, 
really good person. He, he's he's implemented the whole Australian Army combatives program. Well, what I couldn't believe, and this blew my mind. They never really had one. They'd never had yeah. one. <laughs> it's, it's this crazy. blew me away. But they, they never taught the armed forces how to fight. They they had they had this old system called the um, the MSD military self defence system, yep. and it was terrible. I mean, it it was I don't know whoever came that. Uh, Whoever developed that, but you couldn't. They never ran courses. You could never get on one anyway. And mm. I remember being in Darwin, and you had. To, I was trying to go outside of work to go kickboxing and wrestling and do all these things and have some kickboxing yeah. fights. And you have to get. You had to get permission to do it. Yeah. And, and a lot of and some guys were turned down. Oh, we you don't we don't want to you don't want to you get hurt. hurt. <laughs> yeah, doing something. Mate, I, I, I was. It, it used to blow my mind that it was nothing. Oh man, that that just really blew me away when I got told that. Yeah. And and Paul's been the man that's been initiating all this stuff into yep. uh, the armed forces yep. and obviously that's doing amazing things but there's a lot you know from what I understand there's a lot of red tape to get through mm. um, I, I was told and, and you might know a little bit more but at one stage they did have did do a lot of boxing and things like that in, yep. in the army they and I heard to. that around about a decade ago someone actually died I'm not sure about that but um, yeah they the, I mean when I was in you know 90, I got in at 99 yeah. it just there wasn't there wasn't anything. There wasn't anything. You couldn't do. So what did, what, did, what did you learn about close quarter combat? In the regular army, nothing. Wow. Nothing. It was all weapons. Yeah. You know, it was all your rifle. So that you was just, it. You learned how to use a yeah, rifle. Yeah. I mean, shoot. at basic training, you had you, you had your. Um, so if you ran out of bullets, you're fucked. Yeah. Basically, but at basic <laughs> training, you did your obstacle course and you did your. Um, uh, you'd have your bayonet attached and you would you would do your little butt stroke or, yep. or, or thrust with your bayonet. But that's that's the only ever time I put a bayonet on my weapon was at basic training. Right? Wow. But in, in, in special operations, for example, we Paul, we had the um, close quarter fighting yep. um, course that we did, right? And that was Paul Paul created that as well. So we did a little bit there. But there was no ongoing. It was like a five-day course and there was nothing else ongoing. So we did... Uh, we certainly did a little bit of it, in, but it was more as, as a team, which mm. is what really realistically what, how you're going to be operating. So it was like two-man takedowns and subduing the person and putting cuffs on them and things like that. So we did a little bit. And that's what I'm saying with special operations. The, the training is much, much better. Yep. So a couple of things in regards to the normal army compared to what SF do. So we, we would just train so much more. So we would get we would fire thousands of rounds every single week. All right. We an allocation, a battalion of infantry. Their allocation of ammunition that they would get in a say a six month period. We would fire that in a week mm. on the tactical assault group. So just by doing that all the time, you're you're in that training. Mm. You're in those scenarios, and then you do realistic scenario training where you do opposed training. So when the enemy has got um, simunition rounds as well, or at least you've got simunition rounds because there's a bit of... What are, what are simunition rounds? Simunition rounds like paintball rounds. Okay. Simunition is just the, the actual um, name of the company that, that, oh, okay. that produces these rounds, but there's other companies as well, but it's paintball rounds. Yep. And you can put them into... You, you have to change out your receiver and, and bolt uh, or receiver group but, um, and barrel, but it's, it's effectively you're firing your same weapon. Yep. So opposed training is... some. There's, there's a bit of conflicting information about how good that opposed training is good it, it is because you can get sensory overload especially if the enemy you know in this scenario gets a drop on you and smashes you with the bunch of simulation rounds mm. that can have an effect if you're if you leave that scenario as a loser and you've got to be careful especially the leadership to make sure that when you're doing those scenarios training that you'll always leave as a winner mm. no matter what all right so there's there's actually some people say that 
when you do the simulation training, the good guys should have the simulations, but the bad guys shouldn't. So you're firing then, you're seeing your rounds hit that target or hit that enemy and that enemy is going down. But you're, but they're not necessarily shooting at you, all right? Because you don't want to get that sensory overload. But it yeah. would be almost like a progression. The other thing- I, 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 would, I would figure that at one stage though, you need to build up to that. So yeah. you understand that, hey, you can get hit. Yeah, um, but then you get people if you don't, if, they, if they're not, I guess, experienced in it, they'll get hit with the simunition rounds and go, oh, I'm out. Yeah. And, I, I, and this, is, this is one of the dif differences as well with the normal army training, the normal army or the regular army up, before, the guys before they went overseas, we were doing simunition training. And I remember the enemy would get the drop on a good guy, fire a bunch of simunition rounds in him, and the guy was like, would, the guy would stop. And I remember one guy sat down, I said, what are you, what are you doing? He goes, I've been shot. I said, get the fuck up. <laughs> you're not dead. Get up, just because you're shot doesn't mean you're dead. You're not out of the fight, Yeah. all right? So that, that could be one, I guess, downfall of it yeah. when people think, oh, I've been hit, that's it, I yeah. can't fight. Mm. Whereas there's plenty of times where when people in real combat scenarios have been shot and they keep firing. You, you, you wear it and keep going, mm. especially if you've got plates or whatever or you get hit with Plus the adrenaline's got to be... Exactly right. I mean, I, and I know from personal experience, just because you've been shot, not that I've been shot, but I've seen people, we've engaged enemy try and put it, um, I guess, uh, tactfully, we've engaged enemy and, and with a number of rounds and that enemy has been hit. Still going. Multiple, multiple, and I'm talking like 10, 12 times and they are still fighting. Wow. So this is the thing we've got to understand is just, especially with that opposed train, just because you, you're hit, you're not out of the game. Mm. But it also comes back to people that are running these scenarios. You've got to have your lessons learned, but you've got to set the scenario up where the good guys or the operator can test their limits and push them and learn but win. That's, mm. that's the main thing about that. And and you get a lot of lessons out of that opposed training. Isn't that, I mean, when you, I've never been hit by a bullet either, but I'm assuming that some people are going to get hit by a bullet and it's all over for them. You know what yeah, I mean? They're, they're freaking out, they're, yeah. you know, all sorts of stuff going on. Yep. Other people are going to get hit by a bullet and depending on how they're mentally wired and programmed yep. or, or what they've been trained, yep. they're going to just go and just pick up the aggression, you know, and just be totally different. It also depends where you've been hit. Mm, yeah. You know, some, there was a classic example of a Navy SEAL that burst into a room um, with four guys, four bad guys, and he got shot like 22 times. He killed them all and then walked to the walked it off, walked to the extraction point a couple of k's away. Wow. Because he didn't get hit in any vital area. No, yeah. Whereas you can cop, you, you could hit someone through the chin, take out the spine, that's it. Hit him in the heart, that's it. Yeah. Um, you could hit him in a uh, in the shoulder. One of, one, of our guys that got, one of our guys got hit in the shoulder and it hit a nerve, hit, you know, blew his nerve, he's fucked. Yeah. It, like, so, it's so painful mm. that what are you going to do? Uh, no, another guy that got hit in his, in his uh, weapon and it sprayed all in his face, um, no major damage though, so he could keep fighting. So it just depends. Um, yeah, it does depends on your mindset, probably how aggressive you are, but but also where what the scenario is. If you're you're in there fighting and, and you're engaged, you're probably more likely to keep doing that than maybe if you've been ambushed mm. or you've been caught off guard. And what made you? I mean, obviously you spent a lot of time in the army, and it, from from the conversation we're having, you seem to have loved it. You had a good yeah. time. What made you get out of the army? Don't a lot of people go yeah, out of the army? They're lifers. They're in there. Yeah, I get that question all the time. It's interesting. Um, I I'd, I'd say most people wouldn't, aren't lifers. Yeah. yeah. There's not enough position in the army yeah, for everyone to be lifers anyway. Yeah. Um, what do you do when you come out of the army? I mean, obviously you've gone into what you're doing with your training and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But um, 
Well, to answer that question, yeah. I suppose, why did you leave? Why, what was the... Yeah, I mean, my whole thing, the reason I went back in the Army was just because I tried out for Special Force, tried out for the SAS when I was 22. Um, didn't get through that. I mean, I, I picked up an injury, but at the end of the day, I didn't get through that. Got out of the Army because the normal Army was, was fucking boring. Yeah. You know, which is why a lot of guys go, go SF. They want to be more and they want to test themselves and yeah. they want to do more. Um, and they want to get more skill sets and that's why they go that way. So when I got out, got the job in Iraq, um, which was awesome money and it was cruisy. But I just always had that, it was like unfinished business. Yeah. Like I wanted to know that if, if I had what it took, I just thought I was, I guess, tough enough at the end of the day. Yeah. Not, not to sound like a knob, but I just thought, well, I wanted to know, am I, am well, that, I tough That goes, enough? but that's, that's a boy thing as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's a master, you want to know about this. You want to know it, yeah. yeah. And you want right. to put, well, not everyone doesn't, not everyone wants to put themselves out there. Um, particularly these people that do it once and fail, mm. they, 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 they've got that fear of failing again. And yeah. that's why, you know, when I teach guys, I talk about, you've got to have that high pain tolerance. Mm. And I'm not mean just physical pain, I mean emotional yeah. pain. Like if you, if you don't, if you try once and you don't get in, have you got the resilience to try again, mm. right? Because I tried, I went again and failed. And I had to go a third time. Mm. And then, so I wanted, that was unfinished business for me. And then I, I finally got in. And, and when I was in there from 2008 to 2013, it was almost like the, the golden years. It was trip. I went, um, trained up, did the re- selection, the reinforcement cycle, finished that by 2008. Went on Christmas leave, basically came back, went overseas. So I'd only been in the unit, real technically, for six months. Then I was overseas, did like four and a half months over there, got back, had some leave, um, trained up to go on the tactical assault group, did the tactical assault group. Towards the end of that year, did my sniper's course. Following year, started next, uh, trained up to go overseas, went overseas as a sniper. So it was all, it was Just fast action, action. Stuff, stuff, yeah. stuff, stuff, yeah. And then after that, I was like, oh, well, what else? Because I didn't want to progress in the ranks and I didn't yep. really want to take on that responsibility because um, I probably would now, being a bit older, but back then I didn't want that responsibility and those, I mean, I have to give it to the the, the leaders in, in, you know, SF, particularly in, in two commando, the, the corporals, the team commanders, the corporals that were running teams in an SF unit were fucking on the ball. Yep. They had to be on the ball, otherwise either they'd get the sack or people would get killed. Mm. But the, th- the shit that was going on in that um, environment that can be very overwhelming and crazy, and, and how, and it goes back to their training too. You know, you have to be, you have to, you know, be intelligent just to get in it to SF, because you have to pass, you know, on the, on the IQ test higher than, I guess, the general army. So you already got people that are higher intelligence to get in there and the training that they go through in regards to command and control and, and operating that environment and doing what you need to do with the teams and understanding the situational awareness, it, fucking brilliant. I mean, I used to step back as, a, as an operator, as a, as a digger, as a private and go, that's, that's pretty full on. Like yeah, these, yeah. Guys are, these guys know exactly what's going on. And do they, do they fuck with your head? Like, I, you know what I watched the other day? Um, hadn't seen it for years. I watched an officer and a gentleman. Have you ever seen that with Richard Gere? I haven't seen it. Oh, that's a, that's a classic old school <laughs> movie. You've got to watch that. He goes into um, Navy, Navy pilot training, right? Yeah. But um, and I think Louis Gossett Jr., for those of you that might remember the movie, Louis Gossett Jr. was the, um, the drill sergeant. And he emotionally messes with their head, you know, to try and make them mentally tougher. Does that happen? Do they push you to the point of like antagonizing you to make you tougher that's the selection that's what the selection process is about yeah it's it, it's about testing it that you have um you know the resolve to get through mm. so you and, and and 
I guess if you tie it, and the intelligence part is a big point too, because and referring back to this Colonel Grossman, he says that that's an indicator of how people are going to handle combat and after the fact is their intelligence level, wow. which is why the PTSD rate in special operations is, is lower, much lower than, than the regular army because mm. people, to get into special operations, you need to be have a higher intelligence level. Interesting. So then you can process those emotions and those situations better mm. um, and more efficiently, I suppose, than people of lower intelligence. Mm. And, and they found, there's plenty of studies they found that out, especially in Vietnam, signing up people that, that didn't make the grade um, and, and the result of that. Mm. So, yeah, you have to have um, in a higher intelligence level just to get through. But the whole selection process is about putting, you know, putting you under the pump to see if you have what it takes, to see if you want it, to see if you can deal with it and to see if you can operate and function in that environment. Mm. And, and you will, especially on selection, it, it's, a, it's a mind fuck. You know, you're not only being tested physically, you're being tested emotionally, you're being tested on your your traits and attributes, which is different to, you know, your, your special operations traits and attributes, and if you have them, which is different to personality, plenty of different personality types in SF. Everyone's just showed those pers- uh, those traits So what do, you, what do you mean by traits and attributes then? Resolve, maturity, yep, okay. leadership, teamwork, yep. integrity, yep. that kind of thing. Um, and it's basically being tough. Mm. It's basically being physically and mentally tough to push through uh, any situation, mm. and and I know guys, you get obviously you get your, your big alpha males that you're like, okay, that's got guys tough. But one of my other mates, who's now a pilot, was a fucking World of Warcraft fiend. <laughs> he would just play what, and I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, you're you're in special forces, and the the so the personalities and what they like and everything can be vastly different. Yeah. But he was such a good operator, like he was so fucking calm under and I, he was in my team and he was so calm under pressure I remember we were leaving one area one time and this bullet came past and I sort of jumped and looked back at him and he just shrugged his shoulders like oh, <laughs> what are you going to do takes all time and, mate, yeah. and it's, it, it's it, but people probably wouldn't think that that yeah. dude is in special operations Yeah. but yeah you, you definitely get um, you get fucked with in the selection process you, you get set up for failure to see how you respond your mm. confidence takes a beating and if you haven't got that belief in yourself and you can't you haven't got that growth mindset and, and if you can't fail something and let it go mm. and and think you know what what can i take from that now now i need to put all my focus on the next activity mm. which starts right now you know an hour later if you can't do that then you're failing another thing then you're mm. failing another thing then you're off the course mm. or you get in this neg you're in this negative feedback loop where you think oh fuck that up mm. now oh uh, well if i fuck something else else up they probably won't select me or they probably won't select me anyway oh now i've just fucked something else up mm. so, so, so you're messing with your own you're head. messing with your own head yeah exactly right so yeah. we you need in particularly that special operations environment you need people to be able to because the missions are so hard mm. no mission that i went on ever went 100 percent. none i mean one of the i think it was the second or third job um, when I was in snipers, we were. I was the lead scout for our team. We got flown in. Um, Americans flew us in in, in Chinooks in the CH forty sevens, and the, and you can't talk in the chopper. It's just too loud, right? Um, and the team commander would be talking to the the pilots. But once they landed the the rear door gunner, once he got out of the road, that's my cue to get out, right? Out the back, so they landed. He steps out of the road. I run. I run out, and I'm like, "Fuck the blades!" Because it was on a bit of an angle. I was like, "Shit, the blades alone!" I'm trying to get on the blades. I run out at night, 
and then with my, my fucking pack that was like 70 kilos, take a knee and the, and the chopper, I could hear the chopper take, take off and I'd just taken a knee. And I was like, that doesn't seem right. Like, how did everyone else get off? I turned around and I'm the only kind of <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Suella. I'm the only person on the ground. I'm the only person on the ground. And then I was like, holy shit, what do, what do I do from here? And you don't really train for that scenario. So what happened? Where, where were they going? Well, well, I was like, what, you you know, to jump I'm out? like jumping at shadows going, what's that? What's that? What's that? <laughs> and then you can't, couldn't raise anyone on the radio yeah. because you couldn't speak to my team. And partner. it was night. Yeah, it was night. Couldn't speak to him on the radio because he can't hear me. Yeah. And there was, we were quite a ways because we just had internal radios and it wouldn't reach back to our command, uh, back to our base. So I just go, well, surely they're going to come back. And I was thinking of, because we had this, you know, uh, if anyone's watched Bravo or read Bravo to Zero, the book, you know, they all have the, um, they have the silk maps. Like we had silk maps. I'm like, oh, shit, I've got an RV to the theatre rendezvous, which was like, you know, many, many kilometres <laughs> down the track. I'm like, I better have to pull that thing out. But that's what was going through my head. Allah, the one that got away, Chris yeah. Ryan. Those of us watch that book. Uh, listen, uh, read that book. But I, I just well, basically went into a bush and, and was wondering what I was going to do. And um, then, and I figured they would would come back, but you didn't know. I just didn't know what what the issue was. And then it was probably felt like you know half an hour later, but it was it was probably like eight minutes later. They they um, I could see, I could hear them. I could because they went out of went out of audio the chopper. So I couldn't even hear it. must have been freaking out. A little bit. Yeah, yeah a little bit. <laughs> it's like, shit, I'm, I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? I had heaps of ammunition on yeah. there, so, and a couple of grenades. Um, so, and, then, and then eventually a couple of inside, I could hear the choppers, so I knew they were around somewhere. Uh, and then they came and landed um, maybe a couple, of, maybe 200 metres down from where they first landed. Yeah. And then I walked down to it, and I'm like, you know, what the fuck? <laughs> and they said to me, they thought, oh, we, we thought you'd been killed. We thought your head had been chopped off from the from the chopper oh, blades. Wow. Because it looked like from where they were sitting that it was really low. And, and basically the pilot didn't like the landing area. It was stupid because I walked off the yeah. thing. It was fine. Yeah. Um, but so there was, a, there was a bit of miscommunication. Yeah, wow. I suppose. But my point is that that stuff, that kind of thing happens all the time mm. because... Um, not that you want that to happen all the time, but just in that environment, because there's there's so many, I guess, moving parts. Parts there's so many variables, including the enemy that doesn't do what you you want them mm. to do, or the, and you've got your uh, just where you're operating in that environment in regards to the uh, the heat. Or in Afghanistan, it gets fucking cold. I mean, and and the elevation, our base, our base, our ground level base was fifteen hundred meters, so it's already a little bit higher. Mm. So then doing some missions, you're looking at um, being dehydrated or, or getting affected by altitude, which happened on one of mm, our, our missions. So there's all these things that uh, variable, you control what you can control, but there's a lot of things that go wrong. So we need guys to be able to process that and, you know, if you hit a problem, go, okay, how can I get around that? How can I get to my end result? So a lot of SF is about problem solving and being able to deal with that. You've, you've got a couple, because you're a dad now, you've got a couple of kids. Um, one's a boy. Yep. One's a girl. Would you encourage your boy to go into the army? Uh, it's it's a it's it's a. I would say yes, um, but he can't because he's got diabetes. Diabetes restricts you from yeah. from a lot of things. Oh, not a lot of things. Some things. Um, yes, yeah, you can't go in the army with it. Um, I mean, I probably wouldn't have gone in the army now. Like you can't have. Uh, I got a I got a shellfish allergy. 
yeah. like a viol- violently allergic to shellfish, yeah. and I and I've heard them turn people back now, which is wow, which is I think that that's a bit stupid, but yeah, you can um, yeah I probably wouldn't wouldn't have got in, but I, I would encourage him to join. Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I would say I would encourage him to go to to for his ultimate goal to be SF, just mm. because. Um, if you want to do something, you want to be the best at it, right? Yeah. And I just don't, don't think for people that have that real drive and, and want to reach their true potential, you're probably not going to get that in the, I don't know, beat down the regular army. But for a lot, a lot of people, they're not going to get that in the regular army. And, and that's why they, they want to go SF because mm. of what you're going to learn. I say to guys that, that I put through my course that what you're going to learn on the, the selection course is... You're going to learn so much about yourself that you're not going to know otherwise. So 99% of the population, I think, don't know what they can do because mm. they don't. Put We're them, not tested enough. You don't put yourself no. in this situation. Yeah. And, and really, I guess, why would you? Unless you're on a quest for personal development, yeah. right? Because there's nothing really like special operations, because mm. or, or like special operations selection. So not only are you getting put under the pump, you have to be physically fit and tough and resilient, and then you go through sleep de- deprivation, all that kind of stuff. But you're also going, do I have what I, yeah. what you want? You know, you're being assessed the whole time. Yeah. And you get not getting any feedback. So that's what fucks oh, God yeah. fucks with people a lot because you don't get any feedback and really Yeah, there's no one patting on you patting you on the back there or, going, Yeah, you're really, doing a great or, job. Or, or telling you that you might want to pick up your game there. Yeah. It's either nothing or you're a fuckwit. What 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 about the other guys in your team or the other guys that are going through? Are they or are they are they supportive or is there a bit too much rivalry the long, going on? No, 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 they they're supportive, yeah. especially the longer you go in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the longer you go through it, you but don't the selection want to process, I'm assuming there wouldn't be because everyone's trying out for a certain amount of positions. No, because there's no certain amount of positions. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it, the fact there's not enough guys will get through anyway. Okay. Yeah, so they would take actually with with over in the SAS, they're they're pretty much full from what I'm hearing. That so they don't need. There, it is more competitive. Mm. So even if you pass the standards, they have a special forces entry test that they do before select to get on the actual selection course. Yeah. So even if you just barely pass the standards on the entry test, you won't get a spot on selection. Yeah, yeah. You have to pass them well. But being on selection, it doesn't take long to form that bond with the boys, and mm. especially with your team. You, the teams will get rotated a little bit, but I had by the end of it, you're fucking good mates. Is is this the sort of stuff that you're? teaching now like you, you teaching the stuff that you learn in special forces have you brought that out and teaching to your clients yeah yeah so my, my I, have, I guess i have two things um i've had a standard sort of mindset course that i've that i've offered for civilians over yeah. the last four years like people that don't want to join the army. civilians you still call norm, call normal people civilians you are, civ- you are civilians. <laughs> <laughs> you'll never lose that way yeah no well i mean no, no, not really. But yeah, anyone who doesn't, I guess, want to join the army. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I think uh, police call everyone else civilians. So, yeah. And emergency service, same kind of thing. Yeah. It's anyone that I guess is not in that job that you're doing. But um, yeah, I've offered that course and it's going really well. Um, but I had a lot of guys and I didn't realise the market for it. I just was sort of promoting it to civilians because it, it, I guess it was easier uh, not easy. It's just well, that they, they were the ones that wanted to sign well, up. Well, people love this stuff, don't people they? People want to get mentally they tough. They love that and tough mother thing yeah, and all this sort of stuff where you people, push your push your boundaries. People do want to test themselves, mm. absolutely. And people get bored and, and people get stagnant. Yep. And, uh, and and I've, I've and I'll tell you about that in a sec. But I've gone through that as well. I've been guilty of that being being bored and getting stagnant. And mm. and you have to do you have to do something to break that cycle and start testing yourself again. 
But I didn't realise the market of guys that wanted to go for SF. And, and if I think about it now, when I wanted to go to SF, I, if there was somebody that offered some training and offered a course and offered a, some guidance, I would have been like, fuck mm. yeah. Because you know, when, when you're not in SF, you're like, holy shit, that's big, that's up there. It's kind of on a pedestal. Um, there's not a lot of talk about it. There's obviously cool books and movies about it, but it's, it seems out of your reach. And then when you, when you kind of do it, you realise it's not out of your reach. It's just that people aren't getting the right training. So you're actually teaching guys that are already in the army that want to go to Both. SF or guys that just want to try, try out for SF? Both. So okay. guys that haven't joined the army, there's, there's what they call the direct recruiting scheme now where yep. you can go fast-tracked into commandos, which yep. is a good scheme, but it's very hard to get through because yep. you're basically going... From a civilian who so knows zero nothing. zero to hero straight away. Yeah, you're doing yeah. selection within the year. Uh, and the Army, I always say, say, again, something I say to guys, that the Army just doesn't set guys up well for selection. Okay. You know, because there's, whether it's whether they're in the police going for special operations, one of the police tactical groups, or it's whether it's guys in the Army or that haven't joined the Army that want to do selection, all they pretty much give you is a physical training program. And the physical training program is not that good mm. anyway. It doesn't set people up for, for particularly the running component. Uh, and, and when I kind of broke selection down, and yes, I've taken a lot of what I did in SF, but a lot of stuff I've learned outside of that because we didn't learn. A, I didn't learn a lot of stuff in regards to mindset and mental toughness. It mm. was like if you go to a training, you can get to the end, mate. You're tough enough. You're ready to go. But there's but a they, lot of they didn't things. break that down for you. They didn't know. Yeah. They do now. They, there's more on, especially on the second commando regiment reinforcement cycle. They do do some resiliency training, mm. some you know mental and emotional resiliency training, which is great. Um, but they never did that when I did it, and they don't do it beforehand. Mm. And I, I think that we're, we're missing the point. We should, or we're missing a step. We want to teach people not just who want to do selection, but the entire defence force, because mm. that's your job is pretty full on, right? Especially if you yeah. go to war. I think yeah. we've worked that out. And they just don't teach them. There's no kind of course that they should do. So when I broke down the selection process, I was like, you look at this and you're like, everything's trainable. Everything on selection is trainable. It's just that we're not training guys up. They don't know. Mm. You know, if you don't know the tactics that we're using to fuck with you on selection, if you don't know how to improve your emotional intelligence, which I didn't, which I didn't know about at all. And I that was probably one of my biggest failings going through selection is that emotional Isn't intelligence. That, that's probably one of most Everyone, people's yeah. biggest failings, emotional have, intelligence. I still have to work on it. Yeah. You know, when I'm trying to do yeah. something on my dog, we all do. my dog barks at yeah. I still get pissed off. I talk about it in my course. I still get pissed off at it. Yeah. But that having, like what I call, the, it's, I call it the best framework, beliefs, emotional intelligence, stress management and time. So having the right belief system that you can, and this is for, for life in general, but I'll relate it back to selection having the belief, the right belief system and drawing from your past mm. and believing that you can actually do it and setting you know, the proper belief highway for moving forward, having good emotional intelligence and actually not just saying it, the term EQ, actually knowing what the fuck it, it's about <laughs> and how to improve it, having good stress management strategies because guys can train, and I was guilty of it, you could train and do a time in training and I couldn't replicate that on the day. The same as when I'm doing jiu-jitsu comps. Mm. So it's so nervous. And a, yeah. and a local jiu-jitsu comp is fuck all in the grand scheme of things, yeah. right? But I would be just as nervous as doing that as mm. running off the chopper in Afghanistan. Yeah. Because stress is stress, right? Stress is stress, And you, yeah. want, you want to perform. But I didn't, I didn't know that. But now that I know what I know in regards to having a routine and, and controlling your emotions and controlling stress and, and understanding what the body's going through, the last comps that I've had at jiu-jitsu... It, it, I'm so much more in control. I'm mm -hmm. not gassed out. My forearms aren't blowing out. Yeah. I can hear my coach. Yeah. 
I, I can, it, it's so much more. Isn't that so crazy? You went, you, you went through all that stuff with army and special forces and you're still going to jujitsu comp and you still, getting nervous. you still get nervous yeah, and you still, that same, you still feel that the stress. That same nervousness, yeah. that same uh, dry mouth, that same not being able to eat, that same not being able to sleep properly, they're not, mm. the same stuff. But what, what, what I can do, what I know now, what I can do now in regards to performance and preparing for that, I wish I had known mm. more of that. Um, to a greater greater extent, and and I wish the army had taught me. Yeah. Because look at what we're, we're expecting soldiers to do, and also after the fact as well, it's being able to not only ready them for for combat or ready them ready them to, to do their job, but after the fact to, to to give them the tools to make sure that they're going to be okay, or mm. setting them up for success after the fact. But that, those that that beliefs, emotional tells stress management, and time is understanding the time factor, as in taking your opportunities right now. Under, having the growth mindset, understanding that you can go back and do it again, um, understanding there's no better time than right now, or the yeah. best time was yesterday, yeah. the next best yeah, time yeah, yeah. is now. Yeah. That kind of, so I'll, I'll put that together in a package and, yeah. and teach guys and, and, and get them ready for that selection process because I think we're missing out a lot of good guys in SF who just don't understand that. Mm. And, and, and it's almost like the Army's saying, well, if you, don't, you, if you don't have it already naturally, you don't have it. And for me, that is a real old school, fixed, mm. stupid fucking mindset to have yeah, yeah. because they give them a physical training program. If they wanted the raw element, the raw individual, you wouldn't give them a physical yeah. training program. But they're saying, oh, here's, here's a bit of training, but not well, the rest you can, of it. You can train physical, you can train mental, you can train emotional. And I think not just in the army, but population in general, we forget that we've got to train our mental, we've got to train our emotional. Um, we forget that we've got to train all that. We concentrate on the physical so much. Yep. And um, I don't think there's enough enough effort put into training the mental and training the, look, the emotional intelligence. I think that's a, a massive thing. Uh, it's all, like people say to me, is, oh, selections is 90% mental. Well, no, it's not 90% mm. mental. It, it's like, physical, mental, and emotional mm. in, in equal parts. Yeah. If you're not extremely fit and you're not training the right program, it doesn't matter how mentally tough you are, you won't mm. get through. You know, if, if, you're, if you're super mentally tough, but then you can't control your emotions and you get angry, even though you might get it done, but if you get really fucking pissed off, well, we don't want you in the team. Mm. You know, same as, same as you could be, you know, have emotional intelligence down pat, but if you're not physically tough, mm. you're not going to get through. So it's, it's in all parts. Yeah. And I firmly believe that physical training is, you, you need to start there if you're gonna start somewhere. You can't just train the mental. You can't just train the, the, the emotional. You have to train all of them because mm. they all overlap and you're gonna learn things that are gonna complement the other mm. elements by doing those. This has been another episode of the Bold and the Beautiful podcast. Davella has left the building.